Iowa everywhere. Ready, Hawk fans? John Miller is going in-depth with analysis and breakdown. Answers, insights, and a look ahead to next week. It's Hawkeye Sunday with John Miller. Only on Iowa Everywhere. Sunday Reaction Podcast. I am John Miller here on the Iowa Everywhere Network. And want to discuss, well, obligated need to discuss Iowa's 54-10 to 10 loss to Ohio State. And never have I ever contemplated before uh, seeing an Iowa opponent score 54 points and thinking that the defense played their asses off. Uh, I realize those folks in college football that are just doing a drive-by and didn't watch the game and don't have any idea about the flow wouldn't understand that. But the defense, as is often the case during the Kirk Ferentz era, deserved a far better fate. The first five drives of the game, the four of the first five and uh, five of the first seven, Ohio State scored. Three of those were field goals. One field goal, they had the ball, or they obtained the ball at the Iowa 28. The next one, they obtained the ball, um, you know, they drove that ball. Then they obtained the ball at the Iowa 23. Then they obtained the ball at the Iowa 17. Then they obtained the ball at the Iowa 8. And they scored field goals on those possessions where they obtained the ball inside the Iowa 28. Four possessions in the first half where Ohio State's starting field position was no worse than Iowa's 28-yard line. Four. And this is the best offense in the sport. And they managed 12 points instead of 28 points. And this defense deserved a better fate. But in the second half, those drives that were field goals began to turn in to touchdowns. Um, because while Ohio State was struggling to score touchdowns in the first half, Iowa was struggling to get first downs. Iowa's first drive of the game, one play, interception. Second drive, three plays, punt. Third drive, three plays, punt. Uh, fourth drive, four uh, plays, turnover on downs. Then they put together a 10-play, 44-yard drive. But then it was three plays, punt. Then it was one play, interception. Then it was six plays, 24 yards, and done. And then, of course, get the ball to start the second half. Alex Padilla is in. First play under center, fumble. Two plays later after Iowa gets the ball back, interception. Not his fault. Um, yeah, I mean, that's about as bad as your offense, uh, your, as your defense can do for you. Oddly enough, in the game, Ohio State had time of possession, 30 minutes and 46 seconds to 29-14 for Iowa. But Ohio State just kept knocking on the door. They've got great players. In most other years of the Kirk Ferentz era, even with offenses that rank somewhere in the 90s nationally, so we're not talking about great offenses, this probably would have been a four-quarter game because of Iowa's defense. Iowa actually would have led time of possession 
Iowa had six turnovers in this game. Mich- uh, Ohio State, 360 total yards of offense, just 360. They're averaging well over 500 coming in. They were the best, one of the best red zone. If you pick an offensive statistic, Ohio State was one of the best at it. Iowa held them to 66 yards rushing and really held them just to 16 first downs, which is saying something. They held Ohio State to 3 of 13 on third downs. Unfortunately, Iowa was 1 of 13, one of the worst numbers I can ever recall. Um, it's just absolutely abysmal. And it is... It is unacceptable. And I, I've said this before. I've disliked when people have said, well, that's unacceptable. Because when you say that, that means you're implying that there's a change mandated. And sometimes people use that term and I think it's like, all right, just chill out. That was bad. It wasn't unacceptable. This shit's getting unacceptable. No, it is. It's unacceptable. What we're seeing from Iowa offensively this year which stretches back to the last six games of last year. Last six, yeah. Last six regular season games for sure. This is unacceptable. This is horrible. This is potentially program ruinous. And it sucks to sit here and think, I don't know that anything's going to change. Because seldom does in Mayberry. I mean, you check in on Mayberry every 10 years, thing looks the same. Oak might be going bald. You know, Andy Andy might be graying a little bit, a little more gravel in his voice from all the Pall Malls that he was smoking through the years that they just handed out as a right of birth there in North Carolina. You know, Barney left town, came back, left town, came back. He's still old barn. You know, Floyd's still cutting hair. So, shit's still the same as it ever was in Mayberry. But it's got to change. It's got to change. I mean, even Gomer left, right? Didn't he leave Mayberry? He went on to join the military? Something like that. This is bad. And it's, you know, this, this podcast is like a cliche now. Uh, of itself, of its previous versions. I mean, how many times can you say this is bad? Tune in on Sunday where John Miller says Iowa sucks. Now, I know that there are a few Iowa State fans um, here for the popcorn and the drive-by, and I get that. You're welcome here as well. I know that because one of you had texted uh, Chris Williams how much you were looking forward to Sunday masochism with Miller. And that's fine. We've all been there, right? Um, Alex Padilla makes takes the first, you know, significant snaps of the season in the horseshoe. Twenty six to ten at halftime, and Kirk Ferentz walks down, or somebody walks down to let out to let Spencer Petrus know that uh, you know his watch is finished. You know, Game of Thrones. I, I could just like see him walking down. You know, they see somebody bleeding out. It's like your watch is finished, son. Thank you for your service. Why then? Why there? Why then? Why there? 
certainly if you're going to insert someone that hasn't really done anything this season, that you've not given a chance to do anything this season, who's not been taking meaningful reps with the reps with the ones, you don't do it in the middle of the damn Death Star at halftime. Yet, that's what Kirk did. All right, so he made the decision. Move on. But for me. You know, I could just see Kirk or other people saying, well, wait a second, guys, you wanted to change a quarterback. We give you a change of quarterback. Now you're not happy about that. It doesn't make any sense to me. It makes no effing sense. And I'm not quite ready just to give into the F-bombs on podcasts. I don't know that I'm ever going to want to do that just, you know, for the sake of an adjective. But it'll come out sometimes. But wh- why? What, what, what are you thinking? Because prior to... Saturday against Ohio State in the Death Star, there were there was ample reason, ample opportunities to make a change at quarterback. Spencer Petras's play was not good at any point in time this season. There were numerous opportunities that if a change at quarterback was something you felt could help, that you had the you had the opportunity to do that. And you didn't do it until the Rebel Alliance was deep into the heart of the Death Star. It makes no sense to me. It makes no sense. It seems desperate. Look, you may not have liked Kirk sticking to his guns relative to Spencer being the starting quarterback, but he clearly had his reasons. Clearly had his reasons. And then... At halftime at Ohio State, he makes the change. What possibly could have changed in his rationale? The same things that prevented Spencer Petrus um, from getting pulled and Alex Padilla being inserted into the game. I don't know at Illinois that is hardly a mer- is hardly a you know a hard place to play from a fan standpoint or against Iowa State at home when the team needed a spark in a game that they lost one possession or any of the other one possession games this year that they've been in? You didn't do it then, but you did it now. What changed? What could have possibly changed? A couple of things jump into my mind here as I try to run this decision through the prism of Occam's razor. Again, Occam's razor is a philosophical notion that the simplest explanation is often the correct one. And I got to tell you, I'm, I've been been trying to ram this through Occam's all weekend and it's not working. So what changed? What's more likely that something behind the scenes changed and that Alex all of a sudden started looking like the player in practice they needed him to look or your head coach is also grasping at straws I mean I think it's the latter I, I don't imagine Alex Padilla all of a sudden in one weeks of practice not taking multiple reps with the ones made the coaches say, hmm, well, that's the Alex that we've been waiting for. We're going to give that kid a chance should Spencer fall flat behind this 
woefully overmatched offensive line that we've managed to put together. I don't I don't believe that. So that's left what is left for me to accept through the prism of of logical deduction is that your head coach is gripping the same way that we are. He's human. I'm sure there's been other times that that's happened. But this is um this is desperation. And the offensive line is woefully overmatched. And that is not going to change. And they were woefully overmatched last season. Although um, Tyler Linderbaum was able to cover up some of that. He's no longer around. And they can't cover it up. Left to right, everyone's to blame. This yesterday. Um, some offensive linemen look better uh, more often than others. But very seldomly. Uh, have we seen all of them looking competent at the same time this year? I didn't say great. I said competent. We haven't seen a concerto of competence yet this year along the offensive line. Iowa has to have that to be able to be 90th in total offense in college football because of the schemes they run. Iowa has to have an offensive line be in concert with one another have that cohesion, have that ability to be 90th in total offense in college football. I'm not saying to be good. I'm saying just to be competent to where you don't, you know, walk and trip over yourself. That's the that's the prerequisite for Iowa just to be not good on offense. They don't have that. This offense, historically bad. Challenging to be one of the worst in the modern era of college football whenever you say that be. You know, the modern era is always a sliding scale. It's always a moving target because modern always gets pushed one year into the future every year. So when is the line of demarcation for the current conversation of the modern era? Part of me thinks it's it's like 2015-ish. You know, maybe since 20, it just, when you look at the pervasiveness now of spread offenses, pistol looks, um, that really accelerated the last four, five, six years. I'm not saying it didn't exist before, but it's just become so, so complex. I mean, you had last week Nick Saban of Mighty Alabama saying in either the post game or his coach's show that his players didn't know how to defend I-formations that Tennessee threw out, which, A, is a failure of coaching, Nick. It's not like you didn't know that was coming. Could have prepared him for it. But, B, whoa. It just shows you how much of an ancient relic Iowa is trotting out there on a regular basis. And it's okay to be different. It's okay to zig when others are zagging. Matter of fact, it's a good strategy. If you can be competent at zigging. Iowa ain't competent at zigging, zagging, any of it. They're not. They're not competent. They're the worst. They're the effing worst at it. They're the worst at offense in the sport.
Well, what do you mean, John? What do you mean they're the worst? You know, qualify that a little bit. I'll qualify it. You want qualified? I'll qualify it. Total offense, 131st. 227.3 yards per game. Iowa's average actually went down nine yards per game. After yesterday's performance, rushing offense, 127th out of 131. Passing offense, 122nd out of 131. Team passing efficiency, 128th out of 131. Scoring offense, 128th out of 131. Any other? Uh, fourth down conversion percentage, 131st out of 131. Third down conversion percentage, 126th out of 131. Red zone offense, 126, which begs the question, what other five teams are worse than Iowa, and should they fire their coach too? First downs offense gained, 131. The defense still remains 6th in total defense, 14th in rushing, 11th in passing yards allowed, 12th in pass efficiency defense, and 8th in scoring margin. For those about to hawk on defense, we salute you. I tweeted this yesterday during the game, but if I'm Phil Parker, I go into Kirk's office and I say you're going to triple my pay because every team in the SEC would double it. And then you get some some fans sure you would you wouldn't do that jeez um I, I don't think you can grade Padilla I said I don't think you can grade Padilla at all for yesterday so yesterday was like a gimme um next week let's hope he's the starter against Northwestern and when I say let's hope he's the starter it sounds like I've got something against Petrus Petrus I don't I, I think Petrus has done all he could and I think putting Petrus out in the games anymore would be a disservice to that kid even if he doesn't believe it or know it yet sometimes adults have to do what's right for those people that haven't experienced things and haven't lived through things and adults sometimes can see around corners the way that younger people can't Kirk and, and and Brian need not put Spencer back in unless it's an emergency situation because it would not be in the best interest of that kid. You know, I was thinking of this yesterday. I'll probably post something like this. I'm going to write Spencer Peaches a letter. No return address on it. I don't need to hear back from him. I don't need to burden him with that. I'm going to write him a letter and just, you know, thank him for being a great person, a great human. What he does over there with charities, the way that he stood up there and represented his teammates, represented himself, represented his family. I have a great deal of admiration for him. Probably more admiration for him than I would if he was just an awesome slinging quarterback behind an awesome offensive line. It's easy to respect it's easy to respect somebody when their on field or job results are phenomenal. It's harder to earn this level of respect when they're not. And Spencer has mine. So it's like, you know, I'll probably post the address to the Iowa football offices and encourage other people just to write drop, drop two lines. Spencer, you're tough as hell. Really appreciated your character and how you stayed positive through adversity. It's going to carry you far in life once you get past the PTSD and mental scarring of this situation that you had to endure. I'm going to.
but I, that's just me. I'm weird like that. I do things like that often. I, uh, gosh, I can't remember his name. I can't remember his name. Uh, was it Sean Byer? It was a tight end that was from Cedar Rapids that um, muffed the punt or a, a ball, the punt hit him against Wisconsin at home a few years ago. I sent him a letter. And I say in those letters, please don't, please don't waste your time to reply to me. I don't need your reply. I don't. I'm not in it for the replies. I just want you to know that your efforts are appreciated. So thanks for your service, Spencer. Hopefully you don't have to play again for your best interest. Alex, you're up. So what you wanted. Um, that line didn't get any better, probably, Saturday. And that's the sort of thing that doesn't get better until the out of season. And I'm a little concerned because this is back-to-back years of the line struggling to some degree. Can we say that previously in the Kirk Ferentz era? Can you recall back-to-back years after, say, you know, 99 and 2000, when they were just like building these little pencil neck geeks up into monsters? Can you say at any point in time in the rest of the Ferentz era that there were back-to-back years where the offensive line was bad? I don't think that you can. And I am no longer going to rule out the Doyle no longer around factor. I'm not saying that's the reason, because frankly, I can also point to Iowa still doing the same old dumb shit that they've been doing all, all these years out of, you know, zone scheme with fullback. And again, zone scheme in and of itself is not bad. NFL teams still run it all the time. It's actually making even more of a, you know, percentage of playing time comeback in the league. But Iowa is woefully predictable on offense, woefully predictable. And they always have been. And listen, before you send me your notes, I get it that Iowa is trying to set up other plays and that there is more of a method to the madness that it just looks like. I get that. Still then, even. Woefully predictable. When you have an 80% plus tendency out of shotgun that you're going to pass, that's bad. You can't do that. You need to be 50-50 or 55-45 or at worst 60-40 so that the defense doesn't get a chance to pin their ears back. Well, John, Brian's really setting them up because if there's that much of a tendency, he's going to be able to hit them sometime because they're always thinking, Pat, yeah, it works once or twice. This team this year is in need of more drive-to-drive consistently consistency than once or twice sneaky home runs that they probably still can't hit because they aren't high on executing. When most of your audibles wind up being run checks to the boundary side that I've been able to notice since the mid-2005-2006 seasons, and it hasn't changed... That's bad, in case you were wondering, in case you needed someone to confirm your suspicion, that's bad, really bad. This offense is bad. Brian Ferentz would likely be removed at most college programs at the end of the season. He's been there in the position three, four years at a minimum. He's... 
I doubt there's any other offensive coordinator in the sport that has an average um, total offensive ranking over his time as offensive coordinator. Worse than Brian's for the time Brian's been offensive coordinator. And frankly, Brian may be making a run at the record. That your offenses were that bad, yet you had that much longevity. Officially, Brian Ferentz reports to Gary Barta. You know what's interesting? Hmm, chaos just came into my mind. Brian Ferentz reports to Gary Barta. Legally, so they could avoid their, you know, outright nepotism. If Kirk won't fire, if Kirk won't suggest to Gary to fire Brian, Gary can fire Brian. And that right there is a game theory attack vector. Kirk Ferentz is owed $42 million if Iowa were to let go of him without cause. And as far as I can tell, um, it would be very difficult for Gary Barta to, well, it would be difficult for him to grow a pair and do this, but it would be difficult for him to go back and fire Kirk with cause relative to the lawsuits and the whatnot that has been brought against him. And when I say and the whatnot, I am not dismissing the importance and severity of it. I just am not getting into that this morning, okay? It would be difficult to go back and do that because you let him coach the program for two more years. So that's not happening. You're not going to fire Kirk Ferentz unless something else comes to light. You're not firing him for cause. It means you're going to fire him without cause, which means his contract that Gary Barta signed, 100% of the contract is guaranteed to Kirk Ferentz, $42 million. $42 million. But if Gary goes in and fires Brian, something I would imagine Kirk would not like, um, maybe Kirk walks. I don't know. That would be, that would be a baller move, but I, I don't see it happening. But... Kirk can't, as I said on Thursday's podcast with Chris Williams, the problem I see with all of this relative to things being expedited on this front is the ongoing lawsuit of former players alleging racial discrimination against several people, namely Brian Ferentz, Kirk also named in it, that ongoing lawsuit. Whether or not you feel there's any merit to it is immaterial. Same is applied to me. Whether or not I feel there is any merit to it or not, it's immaterial. Brian Ferentz, in my opinion, is unhirable until this is resolved. If it is resolved in his favor, he'll probably find a job somewhere in football. If it is not resolved in his favor, he'll probably never coach again, or at least for 10 years or more. I mean, Chris Doyle is truly one of the best strength and conditioning coaches probably in college sports history. He ain't getting a job. Tried to with Jacksonville. That lasted a couple of days before the outcry was too fever pitched. That would happen with Brian. It would. 
I know it's my opinion, but I believe it. And I have nothing against Brian. So I don't know that Kirk is going to fire him. I would see, I could see Kirk convincing Brian to be reassigned to a different position on the staff and go back and coach positions. But can I see Brian accepting that? Yeah, I can. If that's really what you feel like, you don't have any other choice and you get a, get paid for a few more years. Or Kirk walks away. Um, if Kirk walks away, then he's probably, you know, deduced that his son doesn't get a payday for a couple of years. But I think Kirk's made north of $70 million at Iowa. And Brian's been doing good, too. And some people will say, well, dad's got enough money for Brian. You know, no, no, no son, no, no child, son or daughter, wants to always take money from their parent. Like my oldest daughter, Grace, I have enough money to cover her for her entire college experience, tuition, fun, car, etc. Yet she went out a few weeks ago, found, applied for a job, got the job, working the job because she wants her own money. She wants to do it on her own. And I am so thrilled that she did that all on her own. Didn't have to, you know, she could have sat back and soaked up the benefits of privilege. But she didn't do that. She didn't want to. She wanted to pay. She wants to do her own thing. That's common. I'm sure Brian's the same way. So it's Doug Lesmeray of the Cleveland, I think the Cleveland Plain Dealer, um, really took Kirk to task yesterday in the press conference about the aspects of nepotism. I saw a number of Iowa fans, you know, tweeting things like, well, it, it takes an out-of-town media member to have a set of balls and ask Kirk the hard question and tagged, you know, Chad Lysico and Scott Dockerman, Pat Hardy, Rob Howe, Mike Haloss, among others, and somehow threw me in it. First of all, I'm not a journalist, never have been. I, I don't belong in the same sentence with those guys relative to the jobs that they do. So let's take me out of it for one. For two, y'all don't have an effing idea how shit works. You don't know a damn thing about this. You don't get anything. You don't have access the way that others do. And your job relies on you getting stories and scoops and having relationships. Your job depends on it because if you don't, you'll be removed from the place you work for and somebody else will fill in. I mean, if you remember way back in the day, um, gosh, it would have been, I, I can't remember what year it was. There, there was a national story surrounding Iowa going on. I can't remember if it was the, um, um, if it was the rhabdomyolysis or something else, or, or, or maybe it was the Everson, the ghost room. I can't recall what it was. But some um, news stations in the state of Iowa sent in the news departments to go ask those questions. Why didn't they have their sports guys ask those? It's not because their sports guys are weak and incapable. It's because those organizations know that those sports guys need to have some modicum of relationship with the coaches and players if they are to be able to competently do their job. And yet still, 
these guys have been doing a fantastic job of asking questions and trying to keep Kirk accountable. They have. They just haven't been assholes about it the way that some of y'all want them to be or the way that some of y'all only can conceive is the only possible way to ask the tough questions is to be an asshole about it, which shows that you know fucking nothing about what you're talking about. It's as simple as that. You just don't know. Just like I don't know the finer nuances of your job and how to do it. You don't know about this. So you're free to say what you want, and I'm, a, I'm free to say you're a dumbass because you just don't know. Wasn't planning on going there, but really glad that I did. Um, and if that upset you, then you were exactly the person it was intended to upset. Um, how long am I going here? A lot longer than I thought I'd be going. We are, wow, we're over 30 minutes in. And if y'all you know, play this at 1.25 speed, then it'll be even less than that. And frankly, I, I couldn't listen to myself at normal speed. I would have to speed it up because there's pregnant pauses and sometimes they're too damn pregnant. All right, I need to wrap this up. But before I go, Matt Winchester on Twitter, at uh, Chin Loves Iowa, had a really, I thought, uh, good tweet thread on Sunday morning. It really resonated with me because it sums up a lot of what I feel about Kirk. I have a lot of respect for him. Um, you know, but Matt, you know, painfully coming to the same thought that many of you have come to, maybe some before, some of you may be getting there, that the, the offensive game has passed Kirk by. Um, he said, you know, people say recruiting's on an up and up. But unfortunately, their offensive scheme, Iowa's offensive scheme, will not change. We know this. And I'm okay with the fact that he doesn't change. He didn't change, and it won a lot of games. But now it's time to pass the torch. Iowa has to change the way it's playing this game offensively anyway, and that lands on Ferentz exclusively. I agree, Matt. Um, it does. And it, the game is mostly about the Jims and the Joes. And... But certainly, the X's and O's as well. Jims and Joes can only take you so far if you're running an antiquated system and approach. And an approach that teams have, other teams have seemingly figured out well enough. And that you have to have an insanely high percentage of execution in order to be competent. In order to be competent, I did not say great. It's done. It's just a matter of time. It is a, not the diagnosis that we wanted to hear, but it's done. It was done before Saturday at Ohio State. The decision to put Alex Padilla in in favor of Spencer Petrus here at that point in time is even more curious, frankly. It, 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 it brings up more questions to me than answers. Was there something else that was keeping Alex Padilla off the field till now that we're not aware of? I don't know. But I'm led to ask these questions because there's no rhyme or reason. Okay, let's just put Alex in at halftime at the horseshoe. It's not like you haven't had the opportunity to do that before. Did he all of a sudden have a miraculous two days in practice? And was that enough to sway your opinion? I doubt it because you've never coached and led like that to let small things on a few days sway your opinion. It speaks of either mismanagement, desperation, I don't know-ism, or all of that combined. 
None of it's good. Iowa football, 2002. None of it's good. Except the defense. Again. Iowa everywhere.